Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Unverified Accounts. I'm Chris. I'm Eliza. I'm Philip. I'm here this time. What's up? And uh, a guest, uh, a beloved guest of of ours, Trevor Bolio from Champagne Sharks. What's up, Trevor? Hey, how's it? How's everything going? I almost messed everything up by falling back asleep, but I'm okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm wide I'm wide awake now. It is early for a Saturday, I suppose. Trevor or T, as we like to call him, he's he's been like our he's been like our friend ever since we started uh, Escape from Planet. So wow, that was like three years ago. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy uh, so, to think about? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So you know, we're so happy to have you on at the I guess birth of our new pod. And for our listeners who may not know what Champagne Sharks is, T, why don't you tell us a bit about uh, what it's all about? Uh, yeah, it was a uh, show on on race, pop culture, politics. Uh, lately, we've been doing like extra pop culture because for a while we had this long stretch where we we're doing a lot of uh, academics and stuff. So uh, I was getting it was like getting kind of heavy. So we we've lately been just doing like TV shows and stuff. But but um, we have a lot of range of things like professors um writers journalists or just like regular people that we like from the internet podcasters but we always kind of try to tie race and psychology into everything we talk about and try to keep it light and funny at the same time yeah one of my favorite episodes of yours that you did in the last few months was uh with um i forgot his name but he's the professor who who studies like afro pessimism oh Mm. frank wilderson yeah yeah that was a really that was a really good episode and and that guy's a really interesting life too so that's that's another good thing yeah he's like a playwright and i don't know he just had like a pretty very interesting life so yeah yeah and and, and he fought in uh he was like active in south africa during uh, apartheid like crazy for an american guy it's really interesting he just up and went yeah i mean and the thing that really drew me into champagne sharks when i first started listening was just to see how many parallels there are uh in like black america as there is in asian america Mm -hmm. and i think for asian americans it always feels like and i'm sure black americans probably feel the same way too that this is just happening to us there's something wrong with us why why is everyone else doing so well so unified well we have all this like what fractures in our community but then you listen to a a pod like champagne sharks oh my god this is like this seems like it's designed and it's systematic. So, uh, uh, but you know, not only is that interesting, but the internet has kind of created this um, coalition, but in a bad way of like people oh, yeah, for sure. giving each other like really bad habits. So yesterday um, I saw this thing where uh, some Asian girl quoted an Asian guy and said, that's why you guys are the weakest links. And I was like, oh my God, this is getting really <laughs> bad because people, because that's a good term that they've been using uh in the black community for a while it's like wow mm. we're actually learning from each other ways to be divisive like mm. uh, right we're getting, right we're getting like tips from oh, each you're other. S- it's, trevor you're saying that weakest link like term terminology is comes from like black twitter or oh yeah yeah black twitter for like the past couple of years has been calling uh black men well, uh they call black men and white women the weakest mm-hmm. links and then um uh, i saw yesterday uh, an asian girl was using it to, to describe an Asian guy. And wow. and I was just like, wow, so that's, that's just kind of crazy that uh, people are taking... Um, yeah. Like, you know, it's like cross-pollination of yeah, terms. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember seeing like the term weakest link. I don't know if it was when it was birthed, but when it was like starting to get thrown around, I remember seeing that. Like, well, that's because the more people you exclude or the more people you call the weakest link, that's like... I don't know. It's like a signal. Like I'm so woke. I can see all the weak links here, and it's like it's all you guys, but never me, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for, and for some reason, white guys are left off too, which is very interesting because it's almost <laughs> like uh, the excuse they use is well, well, 
the excuse that they say is, well, we don't expect much from them, but, you know, we expect more from uh, white women and, and black men. But it kind of ends mm-hmm. up creating this space where white guys actually start getting uh, kid gloves because um, you start really talking about them. <laughs> yeah, the, the expectations right. are so low, right? And then just uh, just like do one halfway decent thing and, and et cetera. Uh, but wokeness, which is going to be the topic of our podcast, uh, and literally a show called Woke. I mean, I, I mean, the title of it, it just even, even seems so lazy. But we'll get to that later. I think before we talk, we probably should mention, you know, the, the god-awful, like, Breonna Taylor result. I mean, that that's, goes without saying, just, just like, terrible. Um, so, you know, we're, we're not trying to ignore that, but, you know, that, you know, maybe we want to lighten it up a little bit more uh so apparently there's this new movie being made about lang lang or Lang Lang. i don't know how you pronounce his name the the chinese pianist mm-hmm. and eliza you brought this uh to my attention because apparently it's gonna be directed by ron howard yeah uh who apparently is still alive i guess but then lulu wang the director of the farewell <laughs> he looks really old he's looking bad i looked at his wikipedia image it's not, not yeah, great because he's he's like a ginger and he's balding and he came from yeah. happy days which was yeah. a very long time ago but he was like a kid on happy days right. yeah can i read the tweet that lulu wrote yeah yeah sure go ahead okay so she said as a classically trained pianist born in china i believe it's impossible to tell long long story without an intimate understanding of chinese culture plus the impact of the cultural revolution on artists and intellectuals plus the effects of western imperialism just saying you know i actually think that under ron howard the movie will be perfectly fine but the woke crowd will go out of their way to find some reason to tear it apart simply because Lulu Wang or some other Chinese person didn't direct it. And, you know, I don't think that you need to be of the same ethnicity of the main character of a film for it to be good movies, like for it to be a good movie. Like we've seen lots of instances where it just totally fails. A good director is a good director. So if I had to pick, I think that Ron, I mean, I would pick Ron Howard over Lulu Wang. I like his movies. I like Backdraft. I like Willow, The Grinch, Beautiful Mind. I thought that Solo was among the better Star Wars movies. And I'm looking forward to Hillbilly Elegy this year. So like Beautiful Mind is one of my favorite Ron Howard movies. And I'm pretty sure that he's not a paranoid schizophrenic, like the main <laughs> character. To the best of our knowledge. <laughs> I like, yeah, I can't say the same for Lulu Wang. I'll be honest, I, don't, I didn't really like The Farewell. And I'm not particularly looking forward to anything else for from her unless she can come out with like a movie that really that really grabs me and pulls me in. So I would actually prefer her to direct something that has nothing to do with Chinese people or Chinese culture so that she can't use her identity as a Chinese woman as a shield for criticism. Like then we'll have to judge her based on her actual filmmaking talents. And that was like that was part of my dislike for the farewell. There was more talk about like authenticity than there was about actual like directing, and you just can't keep falling back on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the, I read her tweet too, and I kind of was wondering because she put out, "Hey, I'm Chinese, and I'm also a classically trained pianist." Like, is she implying that she should be directing it, or is she? Yeah, two hundred percent. That's what it seemed but, like to me. But she doesn't that... say it. I mean, you can't say it, right? Well, but obviously, like... that'd be too gauche to just come out and <laughs> of, say it. Of course, yeah. Oh, oh man, Roxanne Gay does that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should have written this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Roxanne Gay will straight up say, "Hey, well, well, well." To be fair, she doesn't do it usually after 
um, the person, someone else has been announced. So yeah, maybe she's not that gauche, but but she does straight up say whenever whenever it's announced, hey uh, DC, you should be hiring me to do your background movie, or hey hey DC, I'm right here. Hey Marvel, what about me? Yeah, I mean that's my problem. Like, I don't think Lulu Wang's point is hundred percent wrong, but like these uh you know representation, authenticity, uh you know woke things often just go down to like like a you know hire me. Uh, or mm-hmm. my friend type of thing. And I, mm-hmm. I just find that very, like, I understand their point of view. They need jobs and everything, but they try to mask it in this kind of righteous, like, we should be seeing this as like a civil rights movement. No, you just want a job, you know? They try to build like a movement behind them with all, they, they use like their social media cloud and like their blue check mark to, to get us all on board. So, so is there a movement? Like, is anyone actually like, you know, are there big re- retreats on this? Are people talking about it? Are there articles being written about it? I think I saw a couple of things. I don't know about this specifically, but just like in general, uh, this whole thing of especially like minority or or women uh, directors or, or other type of artists uh, using this to be, you know, uh, try to get jobs has been going on for quite a while now. Something I hate is anything that starts with as a like that's the new <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the a... new phrase now. Uh, New York yeah. Times. Oh, sorry, you're saying something, Philip. Um, oh, I was saying that that term triggers me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I, well, I also so, like sometimes I catch myself about to say it and I try to not do it because it's well, it is very it's, it's like a very essential, understandable phrase that I think has been hijacked and then yeah. now connotates a certain type of crowd yeah 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 yeah. inherently in and of itself there's nothing wrong with it It, it's kind of like terms like uh virtue signaling or something Mm -hmm. like uh -hmm. there's a term that like mras use called uh hypergamy and i'm like i'm hypergamy is actually something that exists so there's times where that's like the actual best word to describe something that's happening but you can't say it without sounding like an icky um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. M- M- MRA, you know, you know, so you can't use it. Yeah. I feel like as a is one of those things where, yeah, there's probably are times where that's a perfectly valid uh, thing to use. But as soon as you say it, you feel like one of these uh, opportunistic uh, blue check climbers, just, just mm-hmm, to say mm-hmm. it. Uh, New York Times even did an article about about the overuse of the as a as like this crutch. Like, because there's a lot of people who are just, terrible at at describing the experience of their own culture sometimes like it's <laughs> that's the thing that happens yeah and also long long is like still alive pretty young in the prime of his artistic career um so i don't know why they're making this movie i think he's an executive producer so this just kind of seems like like a propaganda piece or something about how great he is yeah 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 yeah, because i was looking up his i was looking up his thing uh his his bio to see if he had some kind of tragic story or if he was politically woke and he just seems to be like just a a star living his best life oh he recently got married so you know he's like yeah at at least wait until he's dead or or maybe like you know senile or something because i mean what can you really do when an artist is in the prime of of their career right it's just yeah, yeah, and if they have direct control over it, that's that's not going to be very interesting. So if it's like a puff piece or something, that's something that Ron Howard is pretty pretty good at. He's good at it's perfect, right? Yeah, he's <laughs> he's good at feel good, competent, well done, um, middle brow fair, you know. And, mm-hmm. and middle brow is not uh, the rights of it all. Like 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 you know, middle brow and low brow can both be very very you know good. They have their own skill set, you know. And mm-hmm. I I think he's very good at middle brow movies. Which yeah, Apollo what? 13, A Beautiful Mind, all y- yeah. great movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
All right, so why don't we move on to the to our podcast topic of the day, which I think the broader topic, um, Liza, you you brought this up uh, during you know when we were just like talking about what we want this pod to be about it, but it, it's yeah. essentially about you know uh, can bad people make good art and can good people make bad art, and we talked about it, and there's this whole I mean, Sh- Trevor, you've talked about it a lot of times on Champagne Sharks and so there is this like trending towards this like HRification of art where yeah. uh-huh. everything has to like tick off check marks and despite its good intentions which i often recognize the end result just seems so carefully calculated and etc um so we, we can start off with this new show on hulu called woke uh which i just finished recently and i gotta tell you like i really enjoy hate watching um just just because <laughs> it, it, it makes usually I, I feel like i get a good survey of stuff out there that i wouldn't normally watch but this was really difficult just because like woke is not got like outright terrible it's not like a lame cbs yeah. show that tries to cash in on the woke. like you know remember when cbs tried to cash in on the whole like hipster phase and made like two broke girls <laughs> i never really saw an episode but just from what i yes. heard it was like so bad oh, that it, it might was, actually be entertaining it, it, it was it was really it was really it was really bad but um but you know it's weird. It was really bad, but also kind of more competent than woke. It's, it's very weird because Two Broke Girls was just basically a generic sitcom. So if you like generic sitcoms, you would like it. But it was trying to pretend it was hipper than it was, and it was also kind of just really, really racist. Like, like it was just really. Oh yeah. It was just really. Uh, but if you just want like a typical three three camera um, laugh track sitcom, uh, like. And you're like two and a half men. Like, like you can like that. But what was this weird? I can't really think of an analog for it or what it was. Like, it wasn't a dramedy. It had no laugh track, but it it wasn't um, as dry as, like, one of those office parks and rec um, Arrested Developer type things. It was mm-hmm. a little too zany to um, be prestige TV. It was, it was, I don't know if it was lowbrow, middlebrow, highbrow. Was it prestige? Like, like I, I don't know. Like, I'm very curious what you guys think. I'm really curious. I, I don't, yeah. yeah. Uh, the thing is, like, uh, I watched it, and then Eliza, I think you watched maybe one or two episodes. And you're like, I can't take this anymore. I <laughs> so, yeah. I can't. Wa- I can't hate watch things the way that you can. <laughs> I it's, <laughs> but it's so, not like it's not even one of those like it's so bad that it's good. It's just mm-hmm. um mediocre. It's just just... So uh, it's it's not like it's not like that bad like as far as uh like craft i, I mean i would just say yeah, that it, it's it looks boring. good um yeah it's not it, so, funny it, it doesn't have a strong message it's just it's a lot of bore i only made it two episodes before i had to stop watching so like everyone knows i'm pretty anti-series but if it can pull me in in the pilot episode like cobra kai did i'll stick with it and this didn't do anything but bore me it just felt very gimmicky like all the um, inanimate objects that would start talking to him. And then yeah. it felt very aimless, which I thought was unusual for a first episode because the first episode is really like where they pull out all the stops to get you, right? Yeah, aimless is a great uh, word for it. But also, you know, like it never it had no follow through as well. Like every time I kept thinking I knew what the show was about, like like I kept calling it like like about to show like i'm like okay it's 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 about to get funny and then it pulls short 
um, right from actually doing something funny. Like, like there was this scene with a party um, full of white people, and he was invited just to get I, the actually, party. Actually, save that thought. I, I think I sh- we should give an overview to the listeners. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure nobody's watched this show, so we should... Oh, oh uh, yeah, you're right, you're right. We should, we should, <laughs> should describe the premise. So, so this show is created by a cartoonist named Keith Knight. Keith, K-I-E-T-H. And it centers around... Uh, like a, a young black male cartoonist living in contemporary San Francisco named Keith Knight, spelled K-E-E-F. And, you know, uh, until the end of the first episode, he's he's like one of these minorities who doesn't really want to think about race. He has this comic that's about to become very successful through like, pub, you know, mainstream publication that really doesn't deal with race until like uh, a bunch of cops uh, tackle him, mistaking him for a suspect when he's just like stapling flyers. And this... Uh, creates like a a big shift in his mind where he starts suddenly noticing racism, and then uh, the show in its eight episodes uh, details his I guess growth into the the woke person he is you know supposed to be hence the title, and that that's essentially the premise of the show. I mean there are like details we can go into with specific episodes, but yeah that's that's the premise of the show. But, but I feel like it interrupts its own premise a lot because. Uh, I- it doesn't keep any momentum or anything. Like at the end of the episode, I'm like, okay, he's gonna start going into this really woke phase, and then the next two episodes after the uh, pre- uh, premiere of the pilot are just him trying to get back in with the company and just kind of flailing around doing Uber. And it's like, okay, so what happened to the whole woke premise? And then they kind of pick it up again with the um, hire a black person thing or rent. A, I forgot what it's yeah, called. Rent, a, rent black people thing. Yeah. 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 But then. <laughs> But then they kind of drop it again. And and it has, yeah. like, no ability. And it's only eight episodes. I remember I was on like episode five or six, and I'm like, um, when is he going to finally commit to his premise? And then it seems like <laughs> at, at the end of episode eight, it seems to kind of um, have him arrive as, like, a woke um, icon. And it just seemed, like, way too late. Like, he's he's it's very half-assed about his own premise because he seems to want to keep interrupting it to do these lame buddy buddy sitcom um sticks about the guy lying to the to the girls the roommate taking over for the landlord like like there's just these weird sitcom-y premise interruptions yeah. that 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 kill the momentum of what it's trying so so keith has these two roommates uh, one is named clovis he's this like black guy whose whole shtick is he lies about looking because like uh, i guess he kind of looks like a like a short fat baron davis so he, I, I think there's a, a joke where he does lie about being Baron Davis. Uh, and he, that's how he gets a woman. He lies about being an athlete. And there, there's a joke to be had there, you know, about how this like social value he can uh, get as a black guy by pretending to be a, an athlete. But again, it never follows through on it. And then there's, he has another roommate, a white guy named Gunther, who his thing, at least in the first episode, is that he's supposed to be like the startup guy. But then later on in the, uber episode you find out he's actually kind of a luddite which didn't make any sense to me like why are you in san francisco trying to be a startup guy but you actually hate technology mm-hmm. and i think that that uh uber episode which oh its title is so cringe too it's called gig e smalls which i think is <laughs> which i think is a testament to the fact that keith knight the, the actual creator of the show was born in 66 yeah so he's yeah way past the age in which he's probably in touch with a lot of this he's very gen so, x yeah so it seems like a lot of the issues that he picks up, whether it's like police brutality, uh, you know, like student loans, gig economy, all that is picked from, I don't know, articles he read uh, online somewhere on some website. Did it feel like he was trying to like address like, you know, 
you know, like X Files, like Monster of the Week. It feels like a lot, there's a lot of shows exactly. now where it's like kind of topic of the week or topic of the yeah. chapter, uh, where you're trying to like you know take on some progressive issue and kind of go through it in the context of whatever story is actually being told. But it kind of fucks up both the story and also the lesson you're trying to teach. He he seems like a it seems like a Gen X Facebook guy's idea of what Twitter and millennials are like from watching his nephews. <laughs> You know, when he, <laughs> when he visits his sister and he's like, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're tweeting about this. Are you, are you crazy millennials? Are you crazy Gen Z people? And, then, and they, they try to do a show. Like, like it felt like somebody's dad or uncle, you know, trying trying to do the wobble or something. Like, like, yeah. like it, it, just seemed, it just seemed very, like his idea of what Twitter and the wokeness is like and the screen names, it doesn't feel like when dear black people or insecure uh, tries to do riff from Twitter because they seem like mm. people who are actually in the mix who have been tweeting uh you know they're of what they're um uh drawing from whereas he seems really out of touch yeah and then uh there's this part in that uber episode i think it's like the first like joke uh opening where they're about to go buy uh, sneakers from some underground dealer and then uh turns out that the the sneaker dealer takes venmo instead of cash and i think (laughs) gunther's the one who says like oh my god like black market dealers take venmo now like crazy and that's the joke it's like where's the joke why is it so weird that a a sneaker dealer would take venmo i don't understand why you think this is funny and it's just it's just the most surface level uh recognition of a trend but no app no actual like incisive commentary which it's mm. funny because he's old like 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 that's the problem like 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 people they're supposed to they look like millennials but millennials would not find that that funny you know that's a gen that's an old older gen xers joke you know, or surprise, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, man, it makes no yeah, sense. Exactly. It makes no sense at all. Does it, I mean, does it, does your opinion of the show change a bit if you think about who the show is, like who the audience is supposed to be? It's on Hulu, you know, no, because, because it, it, it's, I'm sure it's meant for people kind of like us or younger because obviously it's not targeted at his own peer group or else it would have aired on like CBS or something. Uh, the fact that it's online and it's trying to, tackle these topics in the style that it is um and 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 keith the the character in the show is obviously supposed to be like a blurred which is why uh, i you know i shared with you guys this <laughs> post that t you shared i think on twitter <laughs> blurred twitter bingo okay. you, you need to explain what a blurred is because i'm i'm yeah, a little t, bit please please uh oh, please oh, explain. yeah yeah i mean uh, a, a blurred is just a just just a black nerd uh basically but uh the problem with the blurred bingo, bingo thing is so somebody shared it with me from a couple of years ago, it's already outdated. Like, like there's a couple of things that you can replace on it. Like, you could put, uh, for example, um, ancestors. Uh, there's a lot of talk about ancestors now. Um, Juno Diaz uh, on Blur Twitter Bingo, he would be gone because uh, <laughs> he got like me too. Tarantino is on there. I don't know why Tarantino's on there. And Aisha Tyler, like you know. Some things are like uh, dated. Kanye has gone MAGA, so he's gone. But uh, um, <laughs> things that would things that would things that would remain would be like Tana Hasi Coates, um, Beyonce, um, Solange. Yeah, Solange. Um, talking about not being into uh, respectability po- podcasts. Comic book movies are a huge thing, mm-hmm. uh, and blurts now are just. Uh, do you know that whole thing with Collider and IGN and that whole uh, yeah. genre movie shield scene where uh, they call it the access media where it's like 
they're supposed to be covering the thing, but they're also trying really hard to get like like swag bags and be invited yes. to the premieres. <laughs> and, 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 and it's the, the the worst like fakest journalism you can you can imagine. Like it's just um people just cheerleading. Uh blurs are really big into that, you know, and they, they do things like create things like the Black Panther Challenge or the Captain Marvel Challenge where they uh oh, raise man. money for uh underprivileged like black kids or underprivileged women to see a Marvel movie that's offering mm-hmm. representation. Like they're really they do that weird mix of faux activism, faux um boosterism and mm-hmm. faux journalism that I think kind of is is millennial journalism now, but toward comic book movies. And and all they ever want to do is get major properties a lot of times to insert well, two things they want to do. They want to get major properties to insert like minority characters in there or or prioritize the minority characters or something that is worked on by their crowd. Um, I call I coined this new term the past couple of weeks uh, of water checks. Like uh, there's blue checks, but there's some people who are water checks. They're not actually <laughs> right, right, yeah. famous or notable, but they try to tweet and act like blue checks and cape for blue checks because they clearly want to be a blue check one day. And they These are caught- the people that like whenever a blue check tweets anything, they pop up in the replies like first. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And, and, and the reply and have, guys and girls of blue checks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they have sassy gifts, you know, of, uh, <laughs> of, some, of and, and they just uh, are uncritically fawning of anything a blue check um, types. They tweet and talk just like them, use the same language. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. So like, um, I feel like a lot of them are are are, are water checks. Like 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 they they want they have a podcast of their own. They maybe um, have a blog. They want to uh, be covering um, comic book movies and eventually, you know, get to write something uh, someday. Yeah. You know. And and I don't know if it's just on Twitter, but I mean, you guys all saw those memes are, I don't even want to call them memes because memes uh, implies like actual widespread popularity. But after RBG died, and since it had just been a few, uh, I think a week or two since Chadwick Boseman died, those like god awful mm-hmm. pictures the of memes, like Black yeah. Panther and RBG yeah. in heaven. Ruth where Kanda, it, that Asian chick that tweeted oh, yeah. that oh, out and then went yeah. private sh- like in an hour because <laughs> she was getting dragged so hard. But this is what I think was so poisonous about Black Panther, where it's like, you know, Wakanda's not real. But to, to these people, it, it's like they would rather believe in a Wakanda than an actual, like, Black America or Africa. This is what, like, RBG, for all her, you know, you can criticize her all at once, but she was a, a gigantic figure and she did, she was a real person. Black Panther's not real. Chad ba- well, Chadwick Boseman was only an actor. And probably not even like the most prominent black actor of his generation. Yet you are equating the two as if they were actual like both historical figures in like American history. It's just so mm-hmm. it's so fucked up when mm-hmm. you think about it. But they're weird that they flatten everything like um, real life and fiction. They kind of can't tell the difference because to them, exactly, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was this weird kind of. Uh, superhero. I think they think of her as a member of the Green Lantern Corps, and that's just yeah, her the notorious <laughs> RBG. That that yeah, whole yeah, like, she's got her own action know. figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even her robes are her superhero costume to them. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like they really, 
uh, have this kind of weird childishness to them that they really cannot tell the difference. So they elevate trivial things into like major political things and they reduce major political things into trivial things and everything is um, flattened. I mean, even with like issues, like when they do like Me Too and rape and stuff like that, um, they just say someone got Me Too and then you look at the list and there'll be a bona fide um, serial uh, rapist pedophile with uh, Juno Diaz who kissed a girl on the cheek and and I think, yelled I think at Juno bl- Diaz's biggest crime was he was kind of not even mean but he was a little bit pointed in criticism against like a woman who had asked him questions about uh, one of his short stories yeah and, and then he made one woman feel uncomfortable in an elevator uh, I don't know if it's because he was being flirty or, or if he was arguing with her about some something uh, critical. And then there's another woman that he uh, gave an unwarranted touch on the shoulder, I think, and another that's woman with, a, with the unwarranted kiss on the cheek. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like when you just hear it described, you would think he was up there with like, um, uh, like d- a Jim- Weinstein. Yeah, <laughs> a Weinstein or a Jimmy Jimmy Savile. Like I know with everything, this uh, erasure of uh, n- nuance and. I'm not saying that um, whatever Gino Diaz did was okay, but mm-hmm. it, he shouldn't be in the same breath as a as a Weinstein. There should be an ability to have a spectrum to things, and these people yeah. cannot do a spectrum to anything. Everything is binary. Yeah, there's degrees. It goes yeah. it goes so like hyper. Um, it goes so moralistic so fast. Yeah, it's like binary zero or one. You know, it's either yes, you're mm-hmm. a monster, or or or, or no, you're you're, you're you're an angel. Yeah. And I'm just looking at this blurred Twitter bingo. There's one that has white boo, which is, you know, always like, uh, you know, dear white people is centered. Like the main character is Sam and her whole like her whole like dilemma is she's supposed to be this very woke, um, like kind of um, militant black one. But she falls in love with her white T.A. And in this one, Keith ends up, I mean, he has, he's a, a black girl from the beginning, but you know, he, he that quickly ends, and then he ends up with she, Adrian. She's who, so underdeveloped, that black girl. The girl right. I just want to say that. Look, right. She just seems she just seems more like his older sister. That's the vibe she, I got. She, she disappears for whole swats in the first two episodes, and they're supposed to be about to be engaged or something. Yeah. And, and after he gets arrested, she's gone for like a whole episode. He He's too busy hanging out with his two goofy friends. And then right, right. At, the, at the end, she comes back in. She goes, why haven't you called me? And <laughs> But she never feels like a real person. She feels like that character that appears in the beginning of like, you know, you know Vin Diesel, A Man Apart, or the Punisher movie where he has this kind of blandly perfect wife or family. You could tell, okay, they're there just to die so yeah, that he, yeah. can, um, yeah. he can go on his revenge thing. Like these, <laughs> these people are not two-dimensional or not three-dimensional or two-dimensional. They're just there. And his girlfriend felt like that. She was just there to be broken up with, to signify his old non-woke life. I, I, I'm sorry. I just have to vent about her. It really bothered me. Um, yeah, I, I think she was just there to establish that Keith is not one of these, like, you know, black guys who doesn't date black women. So she's there. And then later on in this episode where he becomes an Uber driver, one of his passengers is this rich white lady who's throwing a party. She hires him to be at her party. He realizes mm-hmm. it's only because everyone there is white. He's supposed to be like the cool black guy who's supposed to spice and spice things up. And he meets Adrian, who I think is Australian, because she she has this accent, but it's not it's not like a British accent. I think it's she's supposed to be Australian or a I, I Kiwi or something. I, I think it's New Zealand, which is in that same uh, kind of region. I think. I think. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah, like a sister yeah. a sister country. Right, and then they, they immediately hit it off, and they start uh, they start like hooking up and everything. And 
and then there's this episode where uh, so later on he goes to this like art salon uh where it's, it's kind of like a shark tank i suppose for for artists where he like presents his art and one of the things he drew was of him and adrian together but then he realizes that the critics there don't want to see any white people in the art so he black faces her by you know covering her face up with a sharpie she sees that and then they have the next episode they have this long discussion about you know interracial relationships and all that and again i i would have been totally down for this if they actually um talk about you know this apparent contradiction where okay if you're so woke then you know why are you with with like a white person i think there's like a lot of things to be mined there but again they just like gloss it over and in the end they just like part amicably and at the uh series uh, season finale they get back together because they realize i don't know i guess they love each other for real and just life like is so too shallow sh- yeah, yeah life is too sh- life is too short something about him being in jail for whatever makes him realize like yeah for like but, four hours but but, 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 <laughs> but you wonder what was weird about it, right? I felt like they were trying to say that um, he got more secure in his wokeness and somehow by becoming more secure in his wokeness, part of being woke was realizing he could be with her, you know? As, yeah, as, yeah, exactly. And, and that's why it's it's total like uh, like chicken soup for the soul for the blurred crowd because yeah. <laughs> that's kind of the message of something like Dear White People because as I was watching this, I immediately thought of, I think what was like the most blatantly social media derived episode of dear white people i've only seen two episodes i just realized there's actually i mean two seasons <laughs> i just realized there's a third Twitter. season <laughs> right and remember the hotep episode in season two of dear yeah. white people yes. where uh, joel uh falls for this guy named Tr- uh, and king? i and when i rewatched it, it his last name is <laughs> literally king he's a hotel who's literally king <laughs> And he's like perf. He's like a great dude for like ninety percent of the episode. Then the last that's like ep- one of the only episodes of Dear White People that I saw is that. Oh one. really? Well, how did yeah. you end up seeing it? Uh, it was just on. I don't know. Oh okay. So anyway, he's like this great guy, very supportive, very like you know, uh, you know, like pro black and everything for like ninety percent of the episode. But then in the last ten percent of the episode, he suddenly starts w- saying words like fag and and African. <laughs> he just suddenly turns into a total psycho. Hold, hold on, and, hold on. What was funny is they planted certain uh, lines throughout that I think she flashes back on them when she realizes she's a whole tip. He thinks certain yeah. lines like, uh, th- "That's your friend," and the guy is gay, you know. And she looks back and goes. Oh my god! It's kind oh, of like no. a sixth sense when you realize that Bruce Willis is dead. Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis <laughs> realizes he's dead, and then he flashes back on all the clues. It's a twist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a scene where the, where the girl flashes back to certain lines that he said, and but the lines are so incongruous and forced. It still didn't really help. So, uh, Chris is right. It was very sudden, but they did try to plant red flags but the red flags just didn't work they didn't work at all <laughs> but the thing was i think this was the killmonger problem where the so-called red flags actually made him sound pretty good because he'd say things like you know they'll never give us power we gotta take it yeah and then you contrast that with what the whole um i forgot what the name of their house is but it's, it's essentially like a black fraternity sorority at their university which is very kind of like the obama mindset of you know work hard and they'll accept you kind of thing and you mm-hmm. listen to some of the stuff they say, you're like, wait a minute, this, this Trevor King guy sounds more right, kind of the way Killmonger sounded more yeah. right than mm-hmm. T'Challa. Mm-hmm. That's a great <laughs> but point, then, yeah. But then, again, they had to really put their thumb on the scale by making him this outrageous homophobe and racist at the end. But I watched the episode, and I'm like, this is clearly written by somebody who got into some fight on Twitter. You know the kind of uh, Twitter fight you might see between like a, like a Jamila Lemieux type, uh, you know, about race and gender? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, did they transcribe that probably almost like <laughs> tweet for tweet into this episode to make the claim that it's you know you, you can be woke uh, as like a minority, but you know it, it, that doesn't mean you have to like say only date within your race or you can't have a white boo or something. I thought that was so blatant in that ep- episode. Uh, yeah, yeah, but you know, this is the thing I'll say about her too. She's very much. I felt like the black. This is what I think they're trying to do with the black girlfriend, right? Um, I felt the black girlfriend was kind of there. To show, uh, yes, you think it's all about race. Well, and and it, honestly, this is something that I actually kind of agree with, but you have to have more to it than this. Like, I think I'm trying to show uh, just because somebody's black doesn't mean that they're um, the the best partner for wokeness or proof that you're woke. Because there are some um, blue checks who tweet like a lot of horrible things about black people, but you look and see that they're married to another black person. Another black person is as horrible as them. It's like, wow, it's like these people are just two black people, but they're actually like sellouts, you know? And I thought, I thought, you know, you can have her there and show that uh, even though she's black, she's actually very unwoke and not actually supportive, really, of a lot of woke things. All she cares about, mm-hmm. she's not a terrible person, but all she cares about is like, you know, um, bourgeois concerns, the condo, marriage, her mm-hmm. bushy dad that she mentions is like some kind of lawyer or something. She's she's um so I think like they kind of apply his awakening. She's not really there for her because she's not one of those type of black people. The same way he wasn't one of those type of black people, which I thought okay, that's an interesting idea maybe, but it it seemed like her combined with the white girl who's very manic pixie dream girl to me. Uh, she's yeah. the black girl is just a boring two dimensional cipher, but the white girl is very vibrant, well traveled, interesting. There's there's a, there's a episode with having conversation about things, and she it's a very kind of well. I don't think they had the skill level to do it, but I think it was trying to be like one of those before sunset Richard Linklater movies have you ever seen those with ethan hawk yeah yeah and julie delpy yeah yeah where it's supposed to be like a scintillating intellectual conversation that he does not have with the black girl the black girl is just uh into her ikea catalog and stuff and and real estate listings she has this like very mrs cosby vibe from the cosby show yeah but, but, (laughs) but, but even even mrs cosby had like some kind of uh exciting personality she's 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 like a very uh, great values, Mrs. Cosby. She's just very <laughs> bland. And I feel like the combination of the two of them was there to kind of say, like, uh, yeah, you know, you want him to date a black woman, but look, the black woman you found is so boring and whatever. And but 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 look at the white woman you found. Uh you mean to tell me that um the black woman is more of a woke choice just because she's black? You know, the white girl is actually more supportive of 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 his wokeness than the, than the black girl is, and is actually more conducive to it because she has she's an artist, she's creative, she has more intellectual um, bent to her. So yeah, yeah. So this this is what's fucked up. I, I just kind of realized this. <clears throat> so in the end, what uh, the final episode is Keith having a sit down like a beer summit. You know what a timely joke, right? After like two <laughs> centuries after it happened. Um, with the officer who tackled him. Mm-hmm. And it's all set up by the black ex-girlfriend. She's the one who is like the liaison between the SFPD and him. And it's a total setup where he's supposed to 
uh, apologize to the officer, uh, like a mutual apology. And I actually thought like the last 10 minutes of this episode, the last episode was actually quite engaging. And it's like, mm-hmm. this should have happened like in the first episode. Like, why did we, why did I have to waste like five hours to get to this point? Um, they actually had then, like a, a poignant, like interesting conversation. You're saying like, it, that- yeah, cause like the officer was faking it. And then they have this like oh, confrontation at the end where the officer is like, I'm the real victim. Cause my son now thinks I'm a villain and you ruined, you know, my, my relationship with him. I'm like, yes, you know, let's, let's go here. But again, we had, we had to spend all this time with his like <laughs> worthless roommates and, and uninteresting romance to get there uh but then the, the the last scene where where he like steps out of the police station and there's a whole mob of people uh reporters out there and, and the little sharpies talking to him is like yeah we're gonna start the revolution and that just like really pissed me out because they never define what the fuck they mean by this revolution mm-hmm. and it, it's that same thing with like the pepsi ad where they're like yeah young people you need to raise your voice and and change the world like to what but they never yeah. say because i don't think they want to say because it's scary so mm-hmm. they just have this uh, glib, right? It's um, very vague rebellion. Yeah, yeah, and and, and in the, in the end, it's like, what does it mean? Just like angry. It, no, tweets. it makes it totally makes sense, though, right? Because it, it's like having that bland, blank slate character that you can kind of put yourself into. In the same way that it's like, oh, everyone's all you know since Trump, right? Like all kind of riled up about something, something politically or whatever, and it's different for everybody. And they just need a way for people to feel like, you know, they're part of some revolution, but they won't specify which one. So right. I, I kind of get it. Like it's a feel good. It's it's the last episode of a series that may not get a repeat or a, a sequel. Like it's it's uh it's supposed to be feel good. So kind of makes sense. Yeah, but it's like but, feel but, good. But like, everything in the middle kind of treads water. I think is the problem. Yeah. Is that the it's first episode up. seems to kind of be building up. I feel like the the eighth episode should have immediately followed the first one. Everything exactly. in the middle was just kind of treading water and just trying to be zany and <laughs> not not working like like that that guy the white guy i forget his name gunther Gu- yeah, yeah gunther is very annoying. totally worthless yeah totally worthless and the black guy is very worthless in a different way you know you know you know like <laughs> like but they're they're both just kind of there to just say oh look at him and his zany friends don't you love him and i'm like no i don't love him i, I do not like them um <laughs> The, he uh, Keith, I could actually work with, but not, but not them. I think at the major, yeah, I was gonna say that. Um, you know, I didn't make it all the way through the series like you guys did, but the major problem with a show called Woke is that it's built into its name that it has to be as inoffensive and as unproblematic as possible, which is like the formula for blandness. What could be more uninteresting than? unproblematic art so even feel good content it has to have real conflict so the minute you offend anyone what this you know like if you go by twitter woke like the minute you offend anyone you are no longer woke so it's so tepid it says nothing it only scratches like the very surface on every issue it tries to tackle so I understand that it ends on a cliffhanger, but I agree with Philip. Like, I don't know how a show like this can be greenlit for a second season. Yeah. I mean, here's the last thing I'll say about Woke, uh, unless someone else has to add, and then we can move on to Antebellum, is that a a lot of these shows sound like they are derived from Twitter. I would actually like to see a show that is actually... I think the problem with these shows is they try to take, like, Twitter tweets and, and Twitter language and then transcribe it into real life dialogue, which I don't think works unless in an even worse case scenario, this is how actually these people actually talk, which is, awful. Let's say, <laughs> yeah. which is even worse, which is an even worse reality. But 
I would actually, because like Twitter is so crazy. It is uh, like, you know, like woke Twitter and all the like stupid beefs and stuff. I think that's actually a decent premise for a show, mm-hmm. but they got to stop acting like Twitter's real life. And this is how people actually talk. Y- yeah. Yeah. It, 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 is a, it is a certain level of remove. Well, well here, here's the problem is that I think this guy has a certain level of detachment because I just think he's very Gen X. I don't think he's really of it. He's from the outside looking in, but his own politics and his own out of touchness are so bad that he's not able to prop like you have to have one foot in and one foot out. He's too out, and he's, <laughs> he, he's too Gen X. So like his, version, he's got a telescope. That's how far. Yeah, out he is. yeah. His version of Twitter is just uh, very dad like. It, it, it's almost boomerish. Almost he, he he's veering into like boomer territory. Like yeah. um, he does sixty six is borderline boomer, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It, it might it might be approaching. Uh, young boomer yeah yeah it's definitely older gen x at the very least but um when you like like what are the actual woke issues he talks about besides the most blatant one which is police brutality he didn't talk about like like the woke hot button issues are like um colorism um racial gender war stuff um age gaps um age gaps representation date rape uh yeah yeah you know. sexual harassment like what is it what are the actual woke issues in the whole eight uh outside of police brutality uh the rent a black person thing doesn't actually touch on um what most woke stuff is about the um the black the black guy at the party thing maybe you could have made it about microaggressions but they don't really kind of go there but even microaggressions is not really a, a big thing now like um it's very 2014 this whole show yeah it's very 2014 and i feel like 24 it's actually i feel like the the john stewart era the daily show the obama era i think it might be even earlier than that boondocks like boondocks was like the tail end of gen x influence um but gen x is i think is one of the very under critiqued generations because i think they they had a kind of blandness to them that um kind of let them fall under the radar the way boomers and millennials don't they're kind of overexamined. but gen xers um i'm i'm on the young end of gen x and gen xers have this reality bites kind of mindset you know where if you, <laughs> if, if you watch if you watch reality bites right um, yeah. they're kind of rebellious kind of you know like like Ethan Hawke is like, obnoxious isn't Reality Bites like the quintessential Gen X movie too yes it's a quintessential Gen X movie and if you think about it what makes Ethan Hawke preferable to Ben Stiller like right that was like my first reaction when I saw was, this I, like, he, Ethan Hawke sucks <laughs> he's a bum but he's also an asshole there's nothing he's arrogant it's an unearned arrogance and, and I actually sent Chris Chris um a video critiquing uh, Gen X creators and and I was like, that I find it really interesting because, you know, it talks about how Gen X creators have this unearned uh, ar- arrogance or smugness or uh, they don't really like, believe in anything. Like like the new Watchmen, for example, is a perfect example compared to the Alan Moore Watchmen where it ha- it has like a bunch of like little hot button woke issues. But at the end of it, I have no idea what it believes in, in, in at, at all. It's just very pleased mm-hmm. with itself. That's what I think this woke thing really is. It's a, it's that reality bites thing where it's like okay their only thing in reality bites is that they had this vague undefined non-conformity like oh i'm too good to work at the gap why makes you too good to work at the gap what do you believe in <laughs> you don't tell me uh oh um um 
Ben Stiller is bad for you, even though he's a totally nice guy who works hard, has a good job, because he goes to office every day. Okay, so so what are you doing when you're not in office life? You know, like like what are you actually doing? Are you in any causes? Do you do anything? No, but you're just too precious to to work and and too precious to have blatant manners. I mean, basic manners. You know, like uh, that's what I feel like woke is. It's it's a uh, the reality bites uh, generations and ethos attempt to examine um the millennial woke ethos which the millennial woke ethos as as um annoying as it is in its own ways one thing about it is that it's not vague it's it's it chases its tail a lot with a lot of uh stupid goals but it at least mm-hmm. has like a 50 point bullet 50, 50 bullet point list of what it believes in you know mhm I think there's a good transition to go into Antebellum because I think if Woke was a little too like tepid and you know low energy, <laughs> Antebellum was like too much, too heavy handed. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I just watched it last night. What do you guys think of Antebellum? Yeah, so so I I, I like a good um, a good premise, a good like concept for in, in like a horror thriller film. So from that perspective, I enjoyed I, I would say like half of the movie. But the other half of the movie, which is really like the uh, the kind of you know present day part of the movie, where actually should we go over like a synopsis of what's going on here? Yeah, sure, right? Philip. Why don't you tell us like a quick synopsis? Yeah, so the the movie follows, I think, Veronica, who's um, uh, a successful writer um, in her career. But it actually starts uh, it starts off um, in what appears to be uh, kind of um, the the old South, right, um, with uh, slaves working on this plantation. They don't really go into a lot of details about exactly where it is or was happening, but it's this horrible place with like slaves working the plantation. And these, uh, uh, and it, it appears to be in the middle of the um, civil war as well. Um, mm. And up and, front, we have to spoil it uh, just to warn yeah. people. There's no way to discuss it without spoiling it. And yeah, there there isn't. Um, yeah. So they they kind of go over this. They should go over a few characters. Some bad shit is happening to them, and then they kind of jump you know into the future. Uh, into present day where you follow Veronica, this writer who is, you know, promoting her book and um, uh, starts to, to kind of, you know, it, it kind of shows you her family, it kind of goes into uh, this, uh, I think this like conference she's going to. And uh, she's there with a couple of friends who I guess are also academics, um, you know, promoting their own books and whatnot. And uh, in the end, she gets kidnapped by this, so what appears to be some kind of like cabal of shadowy people from the South. Uh, and it ends up kind of revealing that actually she's not, uh, you know, time traveling, which is kind of what the, the pretense is that maybe she's like somehow being time traveled back into uh, days of slavery, right, as a slave. Uh, but really, she's like brought back into this like kind of, you know, civil rights or sorry, civil war reenactment. Yeah, civil rights. <laughs> not civil rights. Civil, civil war reenactment. <laughs> Um, with these like insane, like power tripping, uh, wealthy Southerners who are trying to relive the heyday of uh, slavery, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I, that's, I, a good expl- that's a good explanation. And, and I would kind of like encapsulate that as like they're they're like crazy larpers, right? They're yeah, just like yeah. full on yeah. cosplaying slavers. It's it's like it's like Hostel meets the village. That's how I would put that's it. That's what yeah. I thought of too. I thought immediately of Hostel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Meet meet Scooby Doo. I, I, would, I, would, I would add that. Yeah. I would add that as a third as a third one. Yeah. Wait, why Scooby Doo? Because the villains were just so Scooby Doo in terms of their motivations and their subtlety, but mm-hmm. also like there was this kind of feeling like 
uh she pulled off the mask like hey i think i'm dealing with this oh it's not really this it's just this more innocuous thing and the way that they were at the end was kind of like oh we would have gotten away the way the way the white woman was at the <laughs> end was very we would have gotten away with it. it wasn't for you you know pesky intersectionals you know uh <laughs> yeah yeah, the whole, the, speech, um, the whole speech is given. I I didn't think that the movie deserved as much hate as it got. Like, there's a lot of scenes with a lot of sadistic subjugation, but it's also a horror movie. So, you know, we don't say the same thing about similar movies. Like we mentioned earlier, Hostel, which has a very similar plot. Some well-to-do women get kidnapped and taken to a weird amusement park sort of thing where rich people pay to torture them. I thought that the movie's weakest points weren't the horror movie parts, but actually mm-hmm. where it tries to teach us a lesson about race. Like those slow uh, motion yeah. parts at the end with the inspiring ethereal music. And I also <laughs> thought that while the yeah. ending was like completely bonkers, it's not that much different from a black exploitation remake like Django Unchained. Yeah, yeah. No, and I-, I feel like the hate that it's getting is that people really want to view it from a slave movie perspective, like it's um like it's, it's twelve not, years right? a slave or something. Yeah. And that's the director's fault because they said that they wanted to activate a conversation, but. As just a horror movie, I think the movie is perfectly fine. And as a teaching tool, which is how woke movies position themselves, it completely fails. But all they do in the <laughs> end it, uh, really is just, um, you know, I mean, okay, sorry, let me let me say that sentence again. All they do in the end is... Um, all the all the woke horror movies they're they're trying they're just chasing get out you know the success of get out yeah uh just when it comes to antebellum i just thought that if you take away all the corny sjw scenes this would be a very good black mirror episode yeah that's 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 precisely how i felt and i felt like the uh like you know dividing it between like the the uh slavery kind of horror horror scenes and the like you know present day scenes where she's living her uh, her you know, upper middle class life, um, the, the kind of lessons they're trying to teach you, like there's very obvious microaggressions kind of like planted throughout, you know, mm-hmm. her interactions with like, you know, the people at the hotel, the people serving her at the at the restaurant, um, yeah. the, the villainous uh, Jenna Malone character, right? Like that felt very, it just felt so kind of um, heavy handed in that like, hey, you're supposed to recognize that this is a typical, you know, a microaggression that a black woman experiences from white women, and uh-huh. I know that that kind of uh, it it didn't blend well with the rest of the movie. It just didn't feel. It just felt like yeah, you're like the, you know this whole HR HRification thing. Like they had to insert that right mm-hmm. to to get a point across. Um, and I think that uh, on, on you know the leading up to the conclusion, what, what I kind of took away from it was kind of interesting because the movie was about these like crazy rich white racists. Um, who were cosplaying as slavers. One of them was even called Senator. Didn't they call him Senator? One, oh, one, guy, one guy uh, either was a Senator or was called Senator, but yeah, he's uh, Eric Lange's character, right? Everything um, was underdeveloped. They had too much stuff going on. They were all underdeveloped. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but it was, what I thought was interesting was the, the flip between these white folks kind of cosplaying as slavers and also like... Um, the kind of revenge fantasy almost like the Django and chain like revenge fantasy that you get at the end where it's almost like these, these white characters set up to be so villainous that really you just, you're just getting ready for the payoff at the end where she like locks them <laughs> up and burns them all. And like, you know, beats mm-hmm. the shit out of Senator, um, you know, and escapes while wearing like, um, 
uh, you know, uh, uh, so like a, a Confederate coat, right? Confederate coat, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, this this very blatant imagery. Um, that's supposed to, if we had seen this in a theater, be the part where everyone kind of like cheers and stuff, right? Like it felt like it was all set up for that. So here's the quick, quick, quick uh, I don't know if it's a plot hole in the movie. Maybe they explained it. I just missed it. How did uh, Veronica, which is the Janelle Monet character, when she was in this like fake uh, plantation, did she lose all her memories about what modern life uh, was like? No. Like, did she actually think she was no. a slave? Like, why no, did she... no, no, no. Okay. I think they just edited it. At, if you think about like they edited it so that you saw parts where you would have thought she was brought back in time and maybe had her memory mm-hmm. erased but she was aware because it her, she, it starts off with her being asked to tell like to say her name right mm-hmm. and her name yeah. in this like fictional world is Eden it's not Veronica and so it implies yeah. that she was maybe refusing earlier to say her name she said my name is Veronica because when she mm-hmm. escaped she says to him my name is Veronica Right, so, yeah. so I feel like that's just very deceptive editing, though, because then, like, the yeah. first thing that would happen if that happened would be if you talk to another, be like, "Hey, do you have a phone?" You know, like, well, well, how can we get out of here?" Right. What they're trying to do was that they were afraid to even talk to each other, so they're kind of whispering. But see, mm-hmm. this is the thing: I knew the twist before I watched it because somebody told me. So yeah. what it was? What oh, it was, I see. I had no idea what it was about going in. Yeah, I already knew about the twist because some, somebody told me. And if you watch it knowing the twist, it's like rewatching. Um, um, Sixth Sense, where you know if you if you rewatch it again, <laughs> you look Sixth for all Sense. the little clues, like in the opening scene, one of them has like a nose ring or something. Yeah, yeah, there's that. There's a septum ring. There's that. But also, like if you um, if you actually um, rewatch uh, Sixth Sense, you kind of realize it's a little bit ridiculous that the wife that he doesn't know he's dead because. Uh, it's one thing for your wife to talk to you, but how could she never, literally, all day talk to you? You know, you know, like, uh, <laughs> like, like, or or you try to watch TV together. Like, I understand that you're kind of floating by each other. So, like, mm-hmm. when you actually like l- look at Six Sense beyond like the um, shock twist, where you where you're like impressed with it, you kind of realize, okay, it kind of falls apart. But they edited it deceptively. It felt like that when you rewatch when you rewatch. Uh, so, so, same thing with Fight Club. You watch, well, even though I think Fight Club did this twist better than Sixth Sense. Um, you rewatch it and you realize, oh, that's what's happening. So, my first time watching it, I knew the twist, and they were. Um, so I think the say your name thing was supposed to make you think she had an African name because in Roots, uh, his name is Kunta Kinte, and they beat him into something named Toby. So mm. I think they want you to think, oh, she's getting her African name beat out of her. You know, like she used to be someone else or maybe from another plantation and the slavers gave her a new name. And that's supposed to be really the conversation about uh, her actual regular 21st century name. There's a lot of little things like like that, like that going on. But um, but yet it strains it strains the imagination because when you watch it, too, they keep making them shut up or. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or there's there's a part where with the um, Confederate soldier who is who causes the miscarriage, um, you know, she's trying to tell me you're different than the other ones and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I, I agree with Chris. Like, it strains uh, credulity that to edit it that way that, that somehow in in that scene where where uh, I think her name's like Julie or Julia, her like re slave name in that scene, like 
if you, if you're trying to appeal to his humanity, why would you not like appeal to his, like modern humanity? Why would you talk to him as if he were an actual Confederate soldier? That's like some weird ass. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Co- like bedroom cosplay you're going on. Be like, hey, are you, like, <laughs> like what are you like some some mega dipshit? Like, do you want do you want to like go to jail forever because of this? Like, you're better than this. Like, you're probably like college educated, nice guy. I don't know. Like, yeah, I would yeah, say yeah, something great, like that. Great, you know? great yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not plausible in the least. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, for those who have seen Harriet, I felt like the Janelle Monet character was kind of like the same type archetype that she played in Harriet where she was like this successful uh, socially mobile uh black woman because okay so uh going back to what I said about the definition of revolution and woke when she's like giving her like TED talk at the convention she's talking about like liberation and and you know like we're new and we're not gonna wait and stuff but it's like what does that exactly entail like you selling books your friend is a like your wife friend's an academic the uh, your uh, your other uh, black woman friend is like a relationship guru. I mean, is that what the revolution you're talking about? Like selling books and <laughs> having Twitter followers? Mm, Again, the neoliberal, just, the neoliberal. Right. Revolution. It seems to flatter that kind of uh, mindset. And then there was this review I read, which uh, just blasted the movie saying, oh, yeah, like Janelle Monet escapes because like she knows yoga, <laughs> which is kind of what yeah. happened. And, she, and, she, and she's like an, she's an equestrian, right? All this shit that like. Yeah, the very upper class stuff. Like the, the way she escapes. Uh, from the bed of her rapist like the general is that she like contorts herself into these uh like gymnastic like poses to yeah. silently <laughs> cartwheel away because she knows yoga. Yeah, but, but, but also, but also it, was, it was not necessary like like why did she need to do that to to, to get away like like that was the amount of space that she could have crossed with one really long step <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> There, I think I read the same uh, critique, Chris. I think it was in Atlantic, and it, there was a valid criticism where it said, "Like, hey, the, all these other kidnapped black slaver or slaves, they why did why could they not escape? Right? Like, what, what did you have to be this like yoga equestrian trained upper middle class woman, you know, with the right intellect and so on to get out of there? Or you know, like like could you not have? Just- I mean, if we're gonna go in that direction, I think that the the difference is that plantations were com you know, plantations and slavery are completely legal back then. And now it's like she can just run to the FBI, which is exactly what happens at the end. Yeah. Yeah. When the phones came out and she was like, I need his face to unlock it. I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) 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 It was such a jarring, like, what what the hell? Now we're like suddenly so in the present. Yeah. uh, Here's here's what didn't make sense about that, right? Um, 911 works, um, even with the locked phone, but, That's but, right. but, but this is what happens. I mean, that makes, that makes no sense. Uh, she calls 911, but because the signal's bad, the phone call doesn't work. So then I thought, right. Th- unlocking th- the phone won't make a difference. <laughs> yeah. 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 Why would unlocking the phone? No, she bo- needs to boost, unlock the, boost the signal. She- she needs to unlock the phone to get the location to send the pin to her husband. That's what. But but, but the problem is, oh, she's, okay. yeah. but the problem is, she was still able to make the phone call. The phone call was perfectly fine. Yeah, the phone she call was fine. But <laughs> she unlocked the phone. So then, why can't she just call nine one one then? Like apparently, moving to that <laughs> to that. Uh, like like for example, that that bad signal. I feel like you need more data and a stronger signal to send a pin. Um, mm-hmm. then then to make a phone call. So so basically, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically. Somehow unlocking the phone boosts the signal enough that <laughs> now a phone call works and you can actually start sending data. You can actually start because uh, GPS goes first way before my phone call capability goes like 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 when the mm-hmm. signal's bad, my GPS is all over the place and and texting data is really hard. So suddenly she unlocks the phone and suddenly <laughs> she's able to make a crystal clear 
phone call and a lengthy conversation with the husband and send him a pin, which made me <laughs> kind of realize, okay, what was the purpose? I, th- I thought maybe what she was going to try to do is unlock the phone and send a text, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, just, just, just a generic text, which I could have seen happening. But she unlocks the phone and starts doing all these complicated things. Um, My problem with the movie, right, is that I feel like it's such a blatant pander to blue checks. Like, it's clearly, like, she's meant to be, like, a skinny, hot version of, like, that that Professor Crunk type of... Uh, mm-hmm. Woman, Wait, like who's Professor Crunk? Um, Brittany Cooper, you know, you know those people, oh, okay. or, or Angela Rye, like like she's basically Angela mm-hmm. Rye, or one of those uh black blue checks who appears on, or she, she's Selena Maxwell, basically, you know, um, <laughs> it's pandering to them, and this idea that the black um it can happen class, to them too. Not only like not only that can happen to them, but that they're the most dangerous ones. They're the ones that. Because uh, because remember when, when the uh, senator guy uh, gets his phone, uh, mm-hmm. he's talking on the phone. He goes, "Yeah, you know, uh, we got her. She's about to mess up the election uh, and mess up the courts." Like they basically, basically seem like the blue checks. They're are, the biggest threat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're the bitter, bitter biggest threat to the establishment. Uh, her mm-hmm. TED talks and her pundit appearances were <laughs> about to derail <laughs> implicitly, like the Donald Trump regime, and. And mm-hmm. and the the Supreme Court, you know, you know, you know, she was going to blow it all wide open and ruin it for everybody. Uh, well, you had to get these blue blue checks, and I don't know if the rest of them were creatives too. They didn't say who the rest of the slaves were, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Well, the the guy who dies is a professor. Oh, he's a professor. Yeah, 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 yeah. yes, yes, yes. So the the media academic uh, blue check complex are the biggest threat to you know the black excellence crowd are going to destroy and prevent the return of andrew johnson yeah. yeah 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 to the point that you have to um eliminate them and to me the people who are riding in the streets who are setting things on fire um those are the people n- not the not the ted talk msnbc talking heads you know like, like those people if anything um all they want to do is um like, like bernie sanders is too radical for them all, all they want to do is just um help biden win and get a job like those people they kind of they kind of need <laughs> that's the revolution yeah yeah they kind trevor, of need- I, gotta, I gotta ask you trevor did you did you like the part where like they're establishing what her house looks like and they pan over that photo of obama oh oh, oh <laughs> the photo of obama the pictures of her degrees you know like to let, <laughs> to let you that know was perfect like, yeah yeah she went to the top schools and the uh the bookshelf and the husband was so stereotypically, um, you know, woke himself. Like, like, like Reggie it, from mm-hmm. Dear White People. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. The type of family they were, it was like a very, the crowd was very insecure. It felt like very much like Issa Rae's friends. And do you all remember what the the baby's name was or the little girl? Oh, no, I forgot. Was, was it a, a woman? Kennedy. Oh. Kennedy with an I. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. Was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were very stereotypically black bougie. Um, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, she was the top. And it, like, like what you said, the friends, the top relationship expert, everything's the top, the top this, the top that. And they mentioned intersectionality. And it's like, okay, these are the people that are the biggest threat. Like, these people are not a threat to power at, at all. Like, like, no one is taking them out first. They want to take out. Like, you know, the people with without jobs who have nothing to lose, mm-hmm. who are mm-hmm. willing to throw Molotov cocktails in, in the street. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like these are the people that actually um, have the most 
benign form of like revolution or, or radicalism. They're 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 not subverting uh, anything really, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should wrap up soon. Um, yeah, any any more thoughts? Yeah, it's a conversation that I want to keep going with. You know, what do we think of good people making bad art? Well, they're bad artists. What do we think of bad people making good art? Well, they're they're good artists, but there are a lot of other things too. So we're in an era where we're not supposed to separate the art from the artist, and I'm not yet convinced that that is the right thing to do. Oh, no, I would say I would add also what makes you good because just the fact that you <laughs> name check, um, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, certain things does that or, or that you have representation like like for example with Ava DuVernay, uh, she fits all like the woke checkpoints but people tell me she's awful to work for and that she's a really mm. nasty person that doesn't surprise oh, really? me you know like it's it's like after the whole girl boss movement and we all found out that sophie amoroso was like a monster as a boss and it's like or well, what do we expect or or, or ellen i, I mm. mean ellen was supposed to be like yeah nice right and, ellen person because she <laughs> was, she was mm-hmm. yeah, yeah she was always hitting hitting the right uh, hot button topics and stuff and she was mm-hmm. also gay herself so she should representation and not everyone's saying that that she was a total like like a hell on wheels monster yeah, yeah behind yeah. the scenes so, so i feel like our definitions of good aren't even uh very reliable yeah we should try to find a good movie by a good sorry a good yeah a good movie by a good person like and then actually look at that <laughs> it's like, that hard apparently it's difficult yeah <laughs> All right, uh, uh, Trevor, thank you so much for coming on. This was a really fun discussion. And yeah, I mean, I, I didn't like either of these things, but I'm glad, I guess, I, I watched them because it does it does make you think <laughs> about uh, things, even if it's like inadvertent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it actually makes a lot of good points. I think one of the good points that it makes is how people kind of see themselves. Because I think both both shows, Woke and Antebellum, are done by two slightly different groups of people who both kind of uh, think that they're saying more than they are. Yeah. Mm. Right. Because Woke, woke uh, caters to like the, the blurred crowd and Antebellum uh, caters to, I think, mm-hmm. the, like the Janelle Monet stand crowd. <laughs> woke is like uh, the Gen X uh, blurreds, you know, uh, I guess trying to get a foothold in the, in the millennial blurred world. And yeah, the black excellence crowd is, I think, what I would call the, the Antebellum. Um, mm-hmm. target audience. I have a quick question. Do you think there could be an Asian equivalent to Antebellum, either like within the context of the plot or creators like even wanting to make something like that? Because Antebellum is just such a weird movie and I was trying to think what other race could 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 do this i don't think so because the type of asian blue check uh, who would be in a position to make something like that i think would be absolutely terrified to suggest that like even asian americans mm-hmm. have any yeah. special claim to victimhood that uh, i don't think they yeah would be because able to the woke it. asian stance is to say that we are just so privileged that that we don't experience like real oppression or real racism if anything, they might have like some fantasy where like Asians are among the the slave masters, which <laughs> which would be a weird like uh, power yeah. fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, actually, I, there's some some couple of random more thoughts. I'm I'm sorry, I kind of wrapped up. I just remember something. The impotence of the black man, I thought was very interesting in the um in the antebellum, and I think it's kind of similar to Harriet because the black excellence crowd really kind of likes to either have black men be co patriarchs or they like to have him be kind of 
useless, you know, like like on the mm-hmm. side and like the husband, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dear white people, dear white people, like the black guys aren't really kind of worthy to be her um, co-radicals. They're kind of just more like mascotty or whatever. And the, and the white woke bay is her uh, kind of partner. But in in Harriet, the the black guy is um, bigger, long, big, bigger, bigger, long. <laughs> and and the husband is just this 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 uh, feckless inept guy who just gives up on her and remarries and is kind of painted as like an abandoner and in Mm -hmm. this one the the husband is just kind of like a house husband and he's kind of like um a a, a useless appendage kind of he's a nice guy but he's he's not really uh uh dynamic and and mask and masculine really and Mm -hmm. and the guy who helps her escape uh just botches it like this field hand who's been working every day you know should be like strong he's been like exercising <laughs> yeah he gets and he, like outpowered yeah. outmaneuvered by the sen- the old ass senator with the axe. <laughs> old ass fat senator. yeah 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 so he, he's basically like useless and she has to kick his ass and it's kind of like you know uh black women will save us was what they were kind of trying to say mm-hmm. i mean he, he gets taken out like in in no time, in no time flat. That, that was yeah, I guess, uh, taken out. Like remember in uh, episode three, Red of the Sith, where Palpatine easily kills the Jedi Masters. That's yeah, right. He, that's about as good a fight he as he puts up. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I forgot to mention mention that. I thought that was very, very interesting that they did that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, well, th- thanks for those thoughts and uh, thanks for listening, audience. We'll be back next week, and I'm sure T, you'll be back on sometime soon. Uh, his podcast is Champagne Shark, so go check that out. Uh, Until next week. Bye, everyone. See ya. Take care.